Hello and season's greetings from Tampa Bay Cop Talk as we dive into another episode of Miscellanies. And why is it season greetings, do you ask? Well, we're heading into the festive fixture period of the English football calendar, which everyone claims is the most exciting, most enthralling, best part of world football season. That's up for debate because obviously it brings about with it fixture congestion which is what we're going to be discussing on this episode of Miscellanies. I'm Jordan, and I'm joined by below me. David. And to my side. <laughs> Darius. All right, and we there are we here go. to talk about the fixture congestion. And obviously, as Liverpool supporters, uh, we know what fixture congestion does. It causes everyone to suddenly become injured and not be able to play football. Uh, and that brings about it some issues. Um David, I guess the question I would ask, because some people seem to want to pretend, injuries just happen in football. This is just a part of football. Everyone has injuries. Um, but obviously, we've been seeing a different rate of injuries this season. So what it says you, is this just normal or is it something else? This is not normal. Nothing about <laughs> this is normal. This is 2020. First of all, there is no normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's not normal. Come on. <clears throat> I mean, the all right, so... I think I've seen some data now that says soft tissue injuries are up. Uh, I think it's like 20% or something like that. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, the athletic had a great article a couple of weeks back about uh, sleep patterns and like the cat. So the players were using caffeine supplements to, to give themselves the kick that they would normally get out of adrenaline of playing in front of all the people. Right. But what that does is it then messes up their sleep patterns. And we know that sleep is probably one of the most important parts of recovery. Now they're getting hurt at these alarming rates. There's all these muscle injuries. I just think, you know, say there's this argument that this is football and injuries happen and everybody's got them. I get that injuries happen, but not at this rate. We can document that with data and, just because everybody has them doesn't mean it's okay. You can't tell me like, oh, we're slaughtering all the best cows, so it's fine. You know, like yeah. eventually when you do that, the quality of the beef is going to go down. Well, the quality of the play is going to dip because we're just not letting the best players in the world, their bodies are not able to cope with this much stress. And so this is not normal. There's, this is We're putting the undue pressure on these players on their bodies, on the training staff. I just don't think it's good for the game. I, th I think that Klopp is right in his criticism. Um, yeah. Yeah. So on the criticism, I'm going to come over to you, Darius. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Jurgen Klopp, for all intents and purposes, went to war with the broadcasters and started calling them out. Um, is there a responsibility from broadcasters, from the league, to maybe contextualize the season a bit differently and be like, you know what, given the circumstances, we should change up the rules. Um, or are they entitled to just to just go on as is? And if they act like that, is it detrimental to what they want to produce? Well, it's interesting because when you look at the broadcasters, they're partners. They're not the ones who set the schedule. They do control start times, sure. So when Jurgen Klopp goes and gets on, uh, about the fact that, hey, Sky, Sky Sports and BT, you guys are the reasons that we're playing at 7.30 in the morning. Well, local time here in America, on the East yeah. Coast. But that's the noon kickoff, noon 30 kickoff there. That, you're the reason why we're doing that. There is some truth to that because you do have that spot. 
Um, I mean, when you think comparatively speaking to like um, the way that it is, the closest analogy you can have is the NFL in America, where you've got those flex games and controlling who gets to play when you get a little bit of a difference in start time. So yeah, it is a difference between playing the afternoon game compared to playing a night game. You get a little bit more rest, a little bit more recovery. And there are a number of athletes who just like playing later in the day because you have your routine, you can wake up later, you can be a little bit more relaxed going into the game and then get amped up later in the day for a night game. So there are a number of sports science things that come with the start time. But the biggest issue isn't the broadcaster, it's the fact that you've got so many games that you have to play. The fact that we're normalizing two games a week when you have to go at the weekend and then Europe in the middle of the week and then at the weekend and then Europe in the middle of the week. And, oh, thank goodness. Okay, Champions League, we've got a couple of months off. Wait, no, we're going to play a Premier League game in the middle of the week. And it has nothing to do with the broadcaster at that point. That's because we're trying to stay on schedule so we can play the Euros in this spot where they were. Now, you can, of course, then come back and say, well, we don't want to move the schedule because of TV money. But you is someone really going to tell me that if we were to move the Euros and push them back and push next season's league start back, that the TV broadcasters would have, would have an issue with that, especially this far in advance, six months to a year in advance, that is doable. It's when we have these late minute switches trying to move a game from a Saturday to a Sunday or Sunday to a Saturday, vice versa. That's where you can have a little bit of an issue as a broadcaster, but the broadcasters, as long as they have that content and know when it's going to be, they're going to build around it. So I don't really hear the argument that it's all on the broadcasters. I look at it and it's like, this is on FIFA. This is on UEFA. This is on the Premier League. They're the ones who need to be held accountable. Like the broadcasters are small part of it. And they're a very annoying part of it. So to me, they're more of the straw, but they're not the whole load that's on the camel's back. It's, it's on the sport. And yeah, that's but- where we have to hold them accountable. It's not just on the broadcast themselves. They're only a small part to the, they're a minor annoyance to this whole thing that's built up on all of these football players in these teams. I think yeah. you're, I think you hit the nail on, dead on there because First of all, they didn't demonstrate any foresight in d- the development of the schedule. For crunching three internationals into these breaks when they had the international breaks, some of them which are meaningless games. Like, why are you making them play a friendly at all? They shouldn't play any friendlies in international football this year. And then you've got on top of that, you know, you could have done anything with the season. The NBA just released its schedule. It is 10 games lighter than a normal season. And it's going to happen a little bit differently in terms of travel because of COVID and different demands. So they adjusted to the situation. That's what you do when you're in a crisis, right? Like you create something that is still dynamic and interesting and fun for the fan, but yet fits everything in a, in a way that doesn't put the players in, and the staff at, at risk. They didn't do that. They just said, we're going to play the same amount of games. We're going to do the same amount of thing. We're just going to crunch it into this smaller time frame. Well, here we are. Now there's a problem. And he's right. It's the lack of governance uh, by the Premier League, by UEFA, by FIFA. Yeah, I guess, you know, a couple things you talked about, like if we push the schedule back like a year in advance, the broadcasters would be able to manage that. They'd be fine. And I think also they would be fine with it from the standpoint if you came to them from the point of view of like the product will be much better because all of the players will not be dropping like flies left and right. Like the Premier League is is I know is not better for Joe Gomez not playing and Tiago being out and Virgil van Dyke being out. Now, granted, some of our 
injury situations are just unfortunate circumstances beyond even the COVID fixture congestion. But still, the point stands. They're dropping like flies, and the, and the product and the quality goes down because not even just those players are missing, but they aren't there to provide relief for the players that are playing. Right. Um, but on to what David was talking about, and I kind of wanted to ask this, this question. Um, was there a responsibility from UEFA, the FA, FIFA, all the leagues to get together and go, look, okay, we can all get our shit accomplished if we're a little bit creative. Let's figure this out in a way that preserves the players. Because it just feels like everyone snatched and grabbed for what they wanted. Me, me, me. I, the UEFA is like, we still have to have midweek Champions League. And then also we're going to have to have qualifiers for uh, the, the UEFA Euros. And, and then the Premier League's like, oh, well, well we're going to squeeze in the whole schedule like normally so we can get our games in. And we're also going to do the FA Cup and the League Cup. Um, and no one really came from like an understanding point of view. So David was saying, you know, like some responsibility obviously lies on the governing bodies of the sport like you were saying david to, to step in and make it right for me one of the things that i keep coming back to is why do we assume like what just move the whole calendar and then just leave it because what's the difference if the if the season starts in september and ends in june versus starts in august and ends in may who cares yeah so just push everything back a little bit yeah. What's the big deal? You know what I mean? I don't understand why we're, we're trying to fit it in so that we can get back to this time frame for what just adjust the time frame because this is the exact, but it does it affect the money though. Does it really affect the money? Because is, is the euros, are they more profitable in July than they would be in August? Fair point. You know what I mean? Kids uh, are does the broadcaster? Well, I think in a lot of places they're still out in August. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, they don't start until after Labor Day or whatever. So I, I'm not sure. And like, I just don't see why we have to constantly be beholden to the way things were done before. But I yeah. think you also could have just said, Hey, we're going to shorten the season to the, the Premier League season to 30 games so that we can fit more other, of other things in without damaging those competitions or whatever or no fa cup and league cup how about that yeah just say we're gonna bend the league cup we're gonna shorten the premier league to 32 games we'll say and there you go like that frees up six weeks worth of time well it's just amazing to me that you have a situation where you have so many different organizations and they're all doing their own thing independently and then they're all pointing at each other as the reason why they have to do things as hardline and rigid as they have to. Yeah. And it's like, wait, wait. So we're going to say that UEFA, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, um, League One, they, they can't all get on a Zoom call and figure it out and figure out the schedule. Hey, because the year, there's yeah. who is benefiting from this? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Like other than maybe the team well, that would have finished 18th is now up in 15th and 14th that, so, because they're just healthy. Like the team that's not getting hurt, the team that's outlasting pe- people, like maybe that's because the they only play benefiting? once a week. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so here's my question: like, In the grand war of fixture congestion, what is up with these weirdos that are on that are football managers like uh, Chris Wilder down at Sheffield United, who wants to fight on behalf or against the interests of of his own players? Well, uh, that that point I do understand. If you are a smaller club and you have been fortunate when it comes to injuries. You want anything in your favor, anything in your favor that's going to level the playing field. And that was the thought initially that, hey, if we have the five subs and the bigger clubs that have a deeper team, they're going to be able to get more players and they're going to be fresher and they're going to take advantage of that. And there's going to be a larger disparity. So I understand 
where the smaller clubs are, are coming from. But well, the, three subs the, the doesn't seem that to be working out that well. But that's Chris. the thing. The thing that <laughs> they're not thinking about or didn't think about is that if you have only those three and don't expand to five subs or don't space out the games, what ends up happening is, well, the teams that are deeper are still going to take advantage of the fact that you have shorter time. Now it's just like with Manchester City, how we've said for years, oh, well, the fact they can just put in a whole second team for the Cups, that's not fair. That's still the scenario, but now we're playing two Premier League games in the course of five days, and that's happening regularly. And that's that's not something that's going to help West Brom. That's not something that's going to help Fulham. That's not helping West Ham. Like, this is a situation where it's just setting up so that the short-minded mentality of we need to grab any leveler that we can turns into, over the course of 38 games, the deeper team, the more expensive team, the team with the better manager is still going to separate themselves. Now it's just going to be over depth because eventually everyone is going to suffer injuries. And that's what I don't think a lot of people took into account that it's not like, Oh, it's just that team or that team or that team. Everyone, everyone is going to be injury riddled by the end of the year. I think it will. We may see some of the attitude around it change too. When fans get back into grounds, because if I'm a season uh, ticket holder at crystal palace, let's say, let's say things are normal. Right or not normal, but you're allowed to go to the game. Now I'm a season ticket holder at Crystal Palace. When I bought my season tickets, I didn't do so thinking that when Liverpool come to town, I'm going to see Divock Origi. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Like I wanted to. I, I'm looking forward, and I get up that day, and I go to the pub, and I start drinking, and I want to be loud because I'm going to go. I want to lose Salah, my three points to right? Salah, not to Kumi. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be in Allison's <laughs> ear the whole game. You know, I'm going right. to be so. I want to bitch at Virgil Van Dyke. Not some 19-year-old kid with a ponytail I've never heard of. So, I mean, I just think, you know, things will start to get back to normal. I think that the opinions around this stuff might be a little less, uh, a little, I don't know, more kind of in favor of like being flexible. But yeah, I just, it is weird. And I, maybe he, he's thinking, well, we're only going to play if they change the schedule to, to suit the bigger teams. You know, we might not play, but once every 10 days. And what's that going to do for our rhythm? I get that, but he'll probably never have any injuries either. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and plenty of time to prepare too. Like extra yeah. days on the training ground. Come on. Every coach would love that, right? I'm a right. coach. I would love extra days on the training ground. Extra day uh, in the film room. <laughs> Uh, so, but uh, to, to the point of like swaying opinions, what's interesting is at the beginning of the season, obviously the five sub thing was voted down, but then Jurgen Klopp said over the last international break, all the managers got together on a zoom call and that if he had to guess the vote would probably be at this point, like 16 to four, I think is what he said. So obviously opinions already started to sway, but you know, the way things are in English football in a lot of regards, and this is going to segue into how do we solve this problem is that, you know, it has to be a certain way. We have to do it this way. And if we start it this way, we can't change it midway through. We have to see it through, even if we made a mistake, it's unfortunate, which is just terrible way to think. Um, But this isn't just the thing that Jurgen Klopp has necessarily been banging his drum about just this season. I mean, this whole fixture congestion in, in December has been something he's been crying out against for a while. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jose Mourinho himself was even like, Jurgen Klopp should shut up. But the end of that quote was, because I've been moaning about this too for a long time and realized it doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. Um, he wasn't actually disagreeing. He was just like, yeah. I fought this fight and I keep losing, so you might as well give up too. Yeah. <laughs> and like, 
<laughs> it, what's interesting is that like at because we played City right before the last international break and Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola had a moment on the pitch where they were like this fucking shit, you know, because Trent just got injured, right? They were both looking at Trent like, see, this is the cost. Like, yeah, okay. like Pep Guardiola like even like grabbed him by the head and was like, I fucking can't stand that you just got injured. Um, and then they both used their post press conference, uh, post match press conferences to, to to rally against it. Why is this an issue that seems to fall on deaf ears over and over again, Darius? Oh, easy. Easy answer. Because they're athletes and they play a game and get paid a lot of money. Because <laughs> when it comes to fans, and, and you know we're not exactly ex- exempt, but even as we're having this conversation, but we have to realize like a lot of people who aren't in the middle of it, who aren't the athletes, who aren't the trainers, who aren't the coaches, they look at it from the outside and say, well, shit, I can do that. I mean, you go and kick a ball for a living. I can do that. So many people, I don't think, respect what it means to go and be a professional top level, top grade athlete because none of us do it. Like it's it's so tough to relate to, especially when we do have people who are legitimately like the blue collar workers, people who are like putting their lives on the line. Oh, well, yeah. When you compare it to that, like, yeah, being a footballer, is a, that's not that hard, but that then doesn't mean that you have an easy go of it, especially when it's your body that's literally being used day in and day out to be able to do your job. So in the same way where someone can put in a 40 hour work week, a 50 hour work week, a 60 hour work week and be exhausted at the end of the week. And then they need their weekend to just recover. Well, footballers do that, but then their weekend is playing a game, which is twice as intense as their regular week. So the grind never stops. And it's, it's just, it's, it's something that we can't really understand yet. We enjoy the product and we just expect like, Oh, these guys are machines. They get out there. They've got all the advantages. They'll be fine. Where I think if we started with that basic understanding and the humanization of these athletes, we would have a, a different conversation where we are like, okay, these guys can't just go off, play a game, and then 24 hours later do the same thing and play at the same level. That's not realistic. We would be asking different things. We would be like, okay, maybe we do need a a two- or three-week winter break. Okay, you know what? Maybe we should make sure if you have a game and then a midweek that you get an extra day off or something to that effect. It's just, I, I think that's the biggest issue, the fact that we don't, look at the athletes and their performance as humans we look at them yeah. as machines no yeah and, and I they're mean, overpaid and all this kind of stuff that people will bring up whenever that conversation comes up yeah they get, they get paid plenty they should be fine yeah you know I mean, how this is yeah everybody thinks they're a writer because they can spell right <laughs> but you ain't a writer until you get paid to write for a living and you ain't a footballer until you get paid to play football for a living and you don't know yeah. what it's like and you don't know the the pressure and like again i go back to that athletic article about the caffeine supplements and i'm like yeah i didn't even think of that like the whole adrenaline thing and then the sleep effect and like how one thing has like a chain effect on another thing and it's just it's you don't understand what the the mental demands are what the physical demands are until you're doing it every day so let the people who are constantly monitoring the guys that are doing it every day inform you on what the schedule should look like yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. The problem is, is that, and to Darius's point, we do need to be more empathetic to them as human beings. But at the same time, 
if I could watch a Liverpool match every day, I fucking would. One hundred percent. As we sit here and say, like, we need I, to yeah, humanize no, these true. guys, and they need more time off, and need they need to be treated properly. It's like if we could have Liverpool play that Tottenham game tomorrow and the day after, put in City, and then oh, you know no. maybe a Manchester United, and then we'll go to an Everton, and then back to that Tottenham game, and we'll just have that joint on a loop. Oh, like, if, if you could have that. And it's not the, like on demand. It's like actual the game happening. 100% as yeah. fans, we would love that. We're trash but, people. No, you want the ultimate We can't hypocrisy. do that. We can't have that. That's not real. Like you want the ultimate hypocrisy? I have uh, absolute. I think I've written a piece talking about the bullshit of preseason tours. And yet when they come to America, do you, who do you think's there? And I was about to say is like, you know what? I realized now is like this battle over fixture congestion and getting this winter break and really solving this like for all for good is that we're all about to argue on behalf of the European Super League that we called Project Death Star, but like two months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You know what's funny is, is like the more of these issues that have come up, the more I start to go, I mean, you can cut, as as I think about it, I'm like, you can kind of see why they want some of this stuff, right? Like the big clubs, especially, it makes sense. What they're asking for is what is best for them in in not only in a financial sense, but in the terms of, can they set the rules about how big their squads are you know can they uh set rules around fixture dates like they could basically set out a new governance in creating a new league so i mean i understand like they could change the implementation of var like that and say like hey if you have to draw a line forget it uh you know if it's not clear and obvious because you've you've stopped using that language so or stopped obeying that language i should say so like they could do that. They could change the whole thing if they wanted to. And that's why it's getting more and more alluring to them. So my question then to Darius then now, as we round this out, is this a fight to save the sanctity and everything we love of football? And should these lower league clubs understand that the more and more you, you try to maybe fight for your own interests in, in these regards, the more and more you push these bigger clubs towards Project Death Star? Damn, I'm going to sound like a real pessimist coming out of this. Um, <laughs> so that's unusual. I would say, but because because it's specific to my thought on how sport and top tier sport operate. When we look at sports, we look at sports from the time when we fell in love with them, right? Like we think of like fathers passing down um, the love of sport to their to their sons and to their daughters. Like that that's the kind of stuff that we look at with sports. We we lionize that relationship between the um, community and the team and the athlete and the person and all this, all this stuff. But what the reality is, it's a business. And look, it doesn't come down to what we think is good for the spirit of the game. It doesn't come down to what we want or what we even had in the past. Anytime we refer to anything from 30 years ago, even it's completely outdated. So where sports are now is comparable to what Amazon is doing and trying to run every industry. That's what sports are. It is a cold hearted business. And from these teams, from these players, from the broadcasters and the leagues, even though they may have their different opinions and thoughts of how you get there, the ultimate goal is to win games and make money. So, yeah, the spirit of the game stuff, like when it comes to when it comes to what is best and should we space it out for quality of play and this kind of stuff like the hypocrisy they've 
they've made money off of that. The fact that we understand, even if it's going to be a, a half-assed team that's thrown out there on Saturday, we're still going to watch it. So the fact that that has been exposed, it, it just, it means that we were too far gone. Whatever happens, it's going to be in the interest of making money. And that's kind of it. It's as simple as that. David, we're, we're back where, where we are calling for the guillotines to be pulled out. The socialization of sports. Is this, is this the solution? We got to take control. I'll tell you this much. I, I, th- I think something's got to give. Uh, Darius brings up an interesting point when he said that you lionize it from the time that you fell in love with it. So here's the, there's a little bit of a cautionary tale for world football, right? Uh, in not addressing problems. I fell in love with the NFL in the early 1990s, right? And I loved football for a long, long time. Part of what made me fall out of love with it was not doing anything about player welfare around concussions. They did not give a shit that these guys were suffering some really horrible health effects. And they've done absolutely nothing to change the culture around youth football. They've done nothing to change fundamentals, like teaching people how to properly tackle. Pete Carroll used to bang on a a drum about it for a long time, about teaching them at a young level to properly tackle would make such a difference on head injuries but it's a culture of violence and it's a culture of banging heads and all this stuff. And right. And it kind of made me fall out of love with it as a fan and to the point that now my favorite team is excellent this year. And I kind of can't be bothered to even watch. Right. Yeah. And I'm not the only one. I know other people that have been on that same journey with that same sport. So I think about that. And I think if you have some kid out there right now that is falling in love with the game or who fell in love with the game 10 years ago, let's say, but now his team's title shot is getting ruined because you're just playing, running all his team's best players into the ground and you're just burning them out on football all the time, 24-7, da-da-da-da. What ends up happening is he's going to get to college or wherever and he's just going to move on with and just not care. And you're killing the passion that drives the game. The thing, the product the thing that makes the product is partially fan passion about it, right? All that pageantry and fanfare. It's one of the things that, why do you think NBC wants you to go to their damn fan fest all the time, right? Because it yeah. sells. Yeah. And they know that. And it's part of the product. But you're not going to have it if it's not the best product. So you've got to find a balance. Is it the socialization of sports or is it just finding a balance? You can't have it all capitalism all the time of more product, more product, more product. Cause you're just going to ruin it. So I, I would say it's like, is it the socialization of sports? I don't know if it's that far, but I'll tell you this much. You better pull, pull the reins back somewhere or you're going to destroy the product. And that's, that's what, that's what I love about a good miscellaneous episode. We start at one point and then we end up in a totally different universe. And we, do we know how we got there? Of course we do. Cause we listened to it. Of course. So we know how we got there, but. And we still know, found a way to shit on NBC. Fan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we found a way to touch on every single one of our fucking themes. And I, I'm so proud about that. Uh, it is interesting. It is interesting. And you do bring up a good point. You could, you could burn it out. The candle that burns brightest burns out first, right? Is that the yeah. saying or something like that? So tone it down. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the same thing, like the money grab with the broadcasters, tone it down, take it at the right speed. So you're responsible with the growth and it's worthwhile. Protect the sport, protect the sanctity. I think I'll, 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 give, I'll give you guys this one. Um, so we just actually had um, our company's meeting last week. And one of the quotes that came up 
which is so true. Companies don't go under because they start selling and then get bad at selling. They don't go under because they did something wrong or invested in the wrong thing. Companies go under because they expand too quickly because they are trying to do way too much. And that is where sports consistently, they're looking like they might be in threat because when you spread yourself too thin, you devalue the product. And on top of that, you also don't have the capital, the infrastructure, the people to be able to do all these different things. And I mean, let's be honest, during 2020, during a pandemic, we've seen this happen with a lot of industries where trying to do too much kicked them in the ass over the last several months. So I'm not saying that's where sports are entirely, but it is a very, very cautionary tell for a lot of these entities that like, guys, just just don't overextend yourself. Because yeah, if man. we get to a point where football is known as a sport where, well, they play every couple of weeks, so it's only going to be your favorite player playing once every two games, once every three games, or, oh, they might play every game, but there's no guarantee. You might not see them the whole second half of the season. That's going to turn off a hell of a lot of people. Like, think about it. When you go to a ballpark in baseball, when you go to an arena in basketball, when you go to a football game, when you go to a football match and you go into the main stand, what do you want to see? You want to see your favorite players. You can't do that if they're hurt. And that's what this is all about. So don't overextend yourself. But that's what it feels like these sports are starting to do. And it feels like football has has been doing it over these last few years as well. So to close out, I'll ask this <laughs> easy question. Was Jurgen Klopp right, David? 100%. <laughs> Darius, was, was Jurgen Klopp right? Mans don't miss. He was 100% on it. Follow-up question for Darius first. Is Chris Wilder a tit? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not going to say he's a tit. He might be, you know, a little, you know, in the same region, but nah. Yeah. I understand what he was doing, but he was just trying to get a reaction. He he had the to- all the time in the world to just be like, I'm going to piss this guy off today. Uh, what about uh, you, Dave? Is he a tip? Oh, I'm sure he's a lovely chap to have a pint with. He was, he was trying to get a being a, Yeah, he was being a tit in that moment. And I think he might have gotten a little stick for being very rather um, – Remember last year, he was very heaping a lot of praise on Jurgen. Maybe he caught yeah. a stick for that. So <laughs> he's trying to make up for it, give him some criticism. I'll give him, I'll give him credit in this regard before we close out. Uh, when Jurgen Klopp gave him a jab and said he's only got one point, and Chris Waller was like, Well, he's right about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so another wonderful and he episode. Still is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's that's been a while. So another episode of Miss Lanny's here at Tampa Bay Cop Talk. Hopefully, they can sort this out before they do significant damage to the sport. Until next time, I'm Jordan. There he is. Oh, he messed up with three people. Up the reds! (laughs) 